You're listening to a thoroughly good podcast, Accept No Imitations. If there was a title for this podcast, it would be um, probably the mealy-mouthed word behaviours. Uh, it's a subject which I've sort of steered clear of uh, in terms of classical music in the past because it's sort of... it it. <sighs> Oh, it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. Uh, and it's to do with how people are in the concert hall. And, and it's usually to do with audience behaviours. It's probably not going to be about the thing that you think it's going to be about when I use the word behaviours. Uh, and it also extends to people uh, and what they say online and how actually it makes me feel as an audience member. It's it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. You'd think it wouldn't really matter, but um, especially given that I'm someone who pretty much I now understand uh, appreciates and enjoys a classical music experience on my own. Uh, it's something which which I I resist experiencing with groups of people. I mean, God forbid that I would go to a classical music concert with, with a group of people. I have no idea what that experience would be like. Um, it is certainly something uh, that I enjoy doing on my own, and that probably makes it a bit like church, I suppose, if I was to go to church, uh, which I don't... Um, in fact, I don't think I've been to church for... Well, not such a wedding. Uh, and that would be about... God, that would be about five years ago. <laughs> tell you about let me tell you about three different things three different examples of behaviors that sort of get my goat uh, the first one relates to relates to a concert that I went to in Edinburgh at the Usher Hall Rotterdam Philharmonic 
playing Marla's well it's a sort of a reconstructed it is a constructed it is a finished off a realised version of early sketches of what um, scholars discovered was Marla's 10th symphony um, he completed 9 before he died uh, but it turned out that he had actually sketched out 10 that's kind of um, that's interesting um, but perhaps not relevant. Anyway, I was very much looking forward to, to Marla 10 and particularly the Rotterdam Philharmonic. Um, and if you've never been, the, Usher, the acoustics in the Usher Hall are breathtaking because basically the orchestra sits in a box, in a wooden box, uh, with one side of it open. So there are no flies, there are no, um, there are no stage flies. There's no proscenium arch. It's just a box. And then the audience sits in basically a wooden box as well, um, which means the acoustics are just really warm and everything bounced off everywhere. And and the orchestra had to work really hard at the, at the pianissimo so that you hear the silences, hear the gaps in between the notes. Um, it's, it's really... It's a really sort of immersive concert experience in a way that the Royal Albert Hall isn't. Royal Albert Hall is a fantastic radio studio in which four and a half thousand people can sit and listen to a concert live. Um, places like the Usher Hall are just the perfect, for me, the perfect concert experience. Anyway, really looking forward to, I was really looking forward to Mile of Ten. Uh, I had this fantastic seat, fifth, sixth row back, uh, got to hear Sarah, a soprano, Sarah Connolly, sing in the first half and she is basically someone who whenever she steps on stage she just radiates warmth and love and whenever she smiles you just think oh my god i love you um and uh and she sings like a dream oh so first half fantastic second half mile of ten um long second half about an hour and a quarter sat in the fifth row in front of me there is a man who, a man who, for the sake of this discussion, I assumed had some kind of learning difficulties, and um, when I sat down, I thought, "Wow, that is, that's a really fantastic thing that he's come to this concert. He's clearly been brought to this concert by, perhaps it's his mother who sat next to him. There's clearly some kind of conversation going on between them." Um, he had severe learning difficulties in, in that he couldn't really uh, articulate, but she was certainly gesticulating to him in order to communicate something. Um, and I was really impressed by how actually she had she had done that. She had brought him along um, because I thought that was a very brave thing to do, especially at um, especially at somewhere like Edinburgh, which, frankly, if you looked at the audience, quite an orthodox audience um if you make an assumption if you if you come up with some kind of stereotypical view of what a classical music concert audience is then that's kind of what edinburgh's is and and that's okay too by the way um anyway i thought that was quite brave and i was i felt weirdly proud weirdly proud that that woman had done that an odd thing happened when the marla started in that marla's music uh, which you may not already know is uh, incredibly complex and rich and incredibly rewarding. Um, it demands a lot of the listener, but 
once you've once you've got the basic language, once you've got the basic idea behind Marla, and you've you've sat through a few performances, actually, you get you get used to it. You get the idea, and it's it's utterly utterly fantastic. Uh, when the Marla started, the guy in front of me, um, he started sort of humming random notes, almost like harmonics, uh, in response to the music that he heard and it wasn't very loud it's very very slight and um and i and i thought to begin with okay right great (laughs) great fantastic he is responding to the music he is responding to the music and that that is that's marvelous and we can we can we can all join together we can all join together in this experience everything's gonna be fine um this went on for about five minutes it's only very slight, but it went on for about five minutes. Not always, always very random responses, and uh, and it upset an elderly gentleman who was sat in my row, a few seats down. And I happened to lean forward and look to my right, and I saw him glaring at me. Uh, and then he pointed his finger at me, as much as to say, "Stop doing that." Uh, and I gesticulated, and along the lines of "What? What are you talking about?" Um, I sat back again and thought, "He obviously thinks that I'm humming. Why would I do that?" Uh, and and that's when I started to get a little bit annoyed. Not annoyed with the chap learning difficulties, but annoyed with the elderly man because he would have walked. In order to get to his seat, he would have followed the same path that I did. He sat down after me, so he would have known. Um, And he wasn't, it struck me that he wasn't really being very inclusive. Had he really known? Well, first of all, if he'd known who the person was who was humming, would that have changed his reaction? Uh, If he didn't know, then clearly nobody is doing that deliberately and given that the notes that you can hear are random and don't really fit with what you're hearing on stage um clearly that's not a deliberate thing it's not a deliberate act to try and um to try and ruin the listening experience for somebody that it's it's something which is just happening and actually, maybe you could just be a bit more forgiving. That was that was my reaction. I know that's ridiculous because obviously he's paid for his ticket. Uh, everybody's paid for their ticket. They're all entitled to listen to Marla 10 in the way that they want to listen to Marla 10. But it did make me feel a little bit like, oh, wow, you're being so unforgiving. Uh, and not only that, you're blaming me. And I have nothing to do with it. And be more forgiving. Be a nicer person. Uh, and I sat there and the humming continued. It did continue, and after about 10 minutes, it did get quite annoying for me. But at the same time, I sat there thinking, no, the the woman is entitled to be there. The woman and her, let's say, son, um, they are actually technically entitled to be there. And and also what I noticed was that when, when Marla's music went into periods of exquisite beauty... And there are these sort of pools of ecstasy. That's the only way I can describe it. 
Um, it's not about melody necessarily. It's about texture, tone. It's about the overall picture that he's creating. And these these pictures are just... It's just ecstasy. That's all I can explain. And 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 the weird thing about these moments is that you are just you're there, held, suspended in this this beautiful moment, and then suddenly the moment is lost. Now the moment of losing it, you realise what you had before. I mean, if that isn't a metaphor, uh, I I don't know what is. Anyway, in these moments of, of pure ecstasy, this guy suddenly stopped humming he was still and and I thought well that must be a fluke first time it happened then it happened second time and then a third time and I thought wow doesn't that say something doesn't that actually underline why it was important for him to come along because that just reminds me of the work that associates of mine who now work at the Royal College who do a lot of work with people with dementia and um uh, people with learning difficulties that they their work demonstrates how live music and proximity to live music has um, a positive effect on their mood and on their behaviors uh, and here it is illustrated now and and wow isn't it fantastic that we can all be sat here enjoying the music on lots of different levels apart from apparently the man further down the row who thinks that it's me doing the humming um, after about 10 minutes though I was beginning to you know I was thinking oh my god you know is this going to happen all the way through I mean this is an hour and 15 minutes is it going to happen all the way through uh, uh, should I move can I move I can only really move if the woman next to me who is also it appears getting quite worked up um uh, moves because I can't really, you know, can't really midway through the movement. Um, just get up and go. Not really. Um, not unless she's moved. Oh, it's very difficult. There's lots of conflicting thoughts and emotions, and still the man further down the road, uh, down the road, is getting getting worked up. And and then eventually, this woman next to me just got up. And moved to a different seat. And I thought, well, okay, if I want to move, that's great. Lots of other heads are turning. And it's getting sort of quite tense, actually. And I felt really sorry for the woman in front of me. Who had brought her son. Because I just thought, oh. You are, like I say, you are entitled to be here. And, and oh, God, this is all, it's not going to end well, is it? Eventually, I just gave up, and I did move, because I just thought, at least if I move, then I'll feel slightly more relaxed, and I won't need to worry about all the... I seem to be worrying about everybody else around me, apart from myself. Anyway, I moved, but I did at least move in between in between the movements. Uh, and as the second movement began, that's when I saw the woman and her son getting up, to leave the auditorium I felt so sorry for them because that that must have been awful for her and that said to me that she was aware of the man down the road from me 
and him complaining and probably the other people in in her row turning their heads towards her and that must have been really difficult now other people will say well actually she should have thought more carefully about the other patrons who would pay for their tickets uh, and she should have avoided that concert well those rules are not in place everybody is welcome in the concert hall at least that is what i thought and even though i moved um it did that that sort of experience did make me pause and think my god the concert hall can be the the auditorium can be actually quite a hostile place if if in the eyes of some people you don't you know you don't perform as the etiquette or the guidelines the implicit guidelines uh state uh and by the way there are no guidelines it's not like they're written in the program Then there was a concert last night, which um, which was on the radio. It was the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra. I think that's what they're called. I know it's Leipzig Gewandhaus. I don't know whether it's called the Gewandhaus Orchestra or not. It doesn't really matter. I've given you the keywords, um, and it was it was. Uh, It was a phrase that strikes the strikes the fear of God in any concert goer when they hear it. It was an all Beethoven program. And what I like when I'm listening to the radio is um, is hearing the reaction of the audience. I like to hear the atmosphere. I hate seeing it on television. Television flattens concerts. It, it takes all. It's as though television cameras look for all the joy in the room. Television cameras and microphones look for all the joy in the room, and then they remove it, and then they start up. Then they start broadcasting. That's how I feel about televised concerts. They just flatten everything, and I don't mean an image. Uh, they, I necessarily. It's, there's something about how the the atmosphere is just not conveyed via television in the same way that it is on the radio i suspect it's about imagination i think the visuals sort of deaden um deaden the imagination and as a result um the 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 atmosphere seems to have been flattened so i'm listening for the audience um and at the end of the concerto piano concerto at the end of the piano concerto, uh, the audience goes wild. <laughs> Absolutely wild. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say, actually, I really love that. Uh, regardless of whether the, audi- whether the applause is deserved necessarily or the enthusiasm is deserved, when I hear the audience go wild, I just think, oh, there's, there's something almost childlike about that, and I like that. Uh, it make, makes me sort of leap. And... I didn't pay close attention to the concert. I have to say, I was making food and I was cooking tea and I was making a crumble, if you're interested, an apricot and blueberry crumble. Uh, and it tasted very good. Uh, and 
so later on in the evening, after we've eaten the crumble, uh, I'm I'm reading I'm reading Twitter. There's a mistake. There's a really big mistake. Uh, and someone quite prominent, who I'm not sure I necessarily warm to. I'm not going to name them because that would be bad. Um, but they clearly. Their argument, in fact, it wasn't just one person. It was one other person that I do know quite well who, frankly, should know better. And um, and a third person who I don't know very well. So two people I don't know and one person I do know, and they were all basically saying the same thing. And and I would describe them as being a part of the Cognoscenti. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're the sixth formers. I'm in the upper fifth. And... And they were all basically saying, "Well, you know, he didn't deserve that applause. That soloist didn't didn't uh, deserve that that enthusiastic applause because that wasn't really very good." But but the reason he got that applause is because you know everybody thinks that everything in the Brahms is absolutely amazing, and it was a really, I mean, I'm just sort of summarising what I'd read there. Um, I didn't need to summarise very much. I mean, it's quite clear. Uh, I am a cynical individual, but those comments were incredibly cynical. Somebody had come back um, in response to one of the tweets. This particular tweet didn't just didn't just imply that the soloist hadn't deserved the audience, but made it quite clear that the audience wasn't very bright let's put it like that it wasn't very bright to have applauded in that way that enthusiastically uh this had obviously irritated someone on twitter whose daughter was part of the audience part of the promise audience um uh who said well actually my daughter's there and um she's cute all day and it was it was something that she really wanted to do so no 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 that was basically the tone of the tone of the tweet I, I realize these are tweets and they shouldn't really be held up as contrary to what a lot of journalists do they shouldn't really be held up as um as anything other than what they really are which is just ephemera um but it did illustrate the point that it did illustrate the point that that there's quite a lot of cynicism and meanness this is not a surprise by the way uh, but there is a lot of cynicism and a lot of meanness, and it was demonstrated last night. And I can only tell you that when I read it, I had a mixture of sadness and anger in me that I could not get rid of. Anger because... Well, first of all, sadness, because I just thought, wow, you're being so mean. Is it necessary to be so dismissive? At least if you're if you're going to say, look, you know, I didn't really think... If, if you're going to say stuff like that, then actually why not say... I didn't really get what everybody else was getting because my feeling was blah, blah, blah. Justify it. Instead of being so vile. I mean, really, I realise it's not, you know, it's not hate speech. I realise it's not hate speech. So, you know, maybe I should just sort of grow a pair and then try and use them, but... Um, it's not very nice it's really not very nice at all 
Uh, that was a sadness. Like, oh God, really? You're doing it. You're saying that? God, you're a bit of a twat, aren't you? Uh, and then the anger thing was actually you. You're part of that group that I now recognise at the end of the proms this year that I kind of need to keep happy. Uh, or at least if I want to be a part of that group of people, which I think deep down I probably do, then I need to play the game. That's generally what people say, isn't it? If you want to be part of the group, then you need to play the game. Um, and... I don't want to have to be like that in order to play the game. Because that's that's horrible. I think. I think it's really, really mean-spirited and shows a cynical disregard for the audience uh, and uh, an overwhelming desire to just inflate your own ego, really. And... That doesn't sound like journalism to me. That sounds like something entirely different and not very pleasant. A bit like putting your finger in your ear and then putting it on your tongue, discovering that you've got a tongue covered in earwax. You know, it's that sort of, oh, ooh, God, that's not very nice, is it? Ooh. third thing is about how is about how we don't value knowledge really 
or at least at the moment we're not valuing knowledge in the classical music world prior to the edinburgh concert i had a i had a meal with a with a friend of mine who i know of old um who uh is sort of i would describe as a bit of a visionary really in that when we met before a few years ago he talked about one aspect of where um where where uh where the digital space was going for classical music uh and he sort of he was quite forthright and said this is what's going to happen uh and i thought well that's you seem very sure of that i think i probably believe you <laughs> not based on any evidence just the fact that he was so very confident well he's obviously right then because he's speaking so confidently and um and it turned out to be right. And whenever I've seen good video content, sorry to use the C word, but uh, whenever I've seen good videos on the internet about classical music, I thought, yeah, he was right about that. He was absolutely right about that. Anyway, we had this conversation the other day, and he talked about how um, he thinks that there will be a return to seriousness, by which I mean... Um, there has been over the past five or six years, probably longer actually, yeah, no, five or six years, there has been, uh, generally speaking, a lack of seriousness online by some publishers about classical music in a bit, a deliberate attempt to be light-hearted and childlike about about classical music in a bid to get people more interested the idea is is that if you if you're not too serious about it if you're quite superficial then people won't be frightened that is that's basically the the thinking it's absolute bollocks it really is bollocks because the core audience looks on that looks on some of that i would argue and goes really really come on don't be an idiot uh, because actually, by saying that you have to be quite superficial, keep it light, let's have a bit of a laugh. Um, what you're saying is is that the new people who might listen to this this music couldn't possibly understand why it's so amazing. And so, what we need to do is we need to trick them. We need to be almost apologetic about the fact that classical music is is complicated by trying to be really light-hearted and superficial and uh, I realise that, you know, for some people who know me of old, I'm skating towards an area which is a little bit difficult for me because I kind of did that approach about 10 years ago. I'm not saying that I did it first, but because, I, I mean, technically I suppose I did, but that isn't really my point. The, the fact is that I think then when, when I remember, for example, the problems being quite staid and aloof and I rather loved that... Um, it seemed to fit. It seemed okay because there was something. There were some eccentricities about the proms, which uh, and other concerts. Let's not all make it about the proms. Uh, which sort of meant that that kind of stuff was equally quirky and eccentric, uh, and that's okay. But I think when when that becomes the norm, when people start thinking this is the only way that we can get people interested by being. Um, dismissive of knowledge and seriousness and scholarliness and academia and and i'm not saying that everybody needs to have a degree before they step into the concert hall but but uh, not in any way 
but I do think that uh, rejecting knowledge, which is what a lot of that superficial stuff does, is counterproductive. Um, because it sort of kind of gives the impression that you're not taking it seriously. And... And that seems... Well, it really saddens me. It really, really does sadden me. And and I think that the only way that I can really illustrate it is many, 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 many moons ago, uh, I went for a job in a classical music area. And I thought, I'm, I, that, that job's got my name written all over it. <laughs> I don't, I don't often think like that, really. Um, but I was, I was convinced. I was convinced. And <clears throat> did the interview. Oh, I put so much effort into it. I really did. And I thought, yeah, I would love that. I would so love that job. I so love that job. Oh, it took ages to get a result. It really did. It's like waiting for your A-levels or your degree. No, it's like waiting for my degree. My degree had to be referred to a board or something. Um, and I ended up discovering that the person that I was working with at the time had also gone for the job. This surprised me a great deal because up until that point, I had no idea that he had any knowledge or indeed interest in classical music at all. And... Um, we sat down on a day not unlike today in late August bright blue skies slight chill in the air and he told me he'd got the job he told me he'd got the job not HR or the hiring manager he told me he'd got the job And then he proceeded to talk about a fantastic work by Benjamin Britten. I'm a fan of Benjamin Britten's. He told me about a fantastic work that he really, really enjoyed. He kept going on about it. Britten's Summer Symphony. He said it three times in the conversation before I had to stop him and say, Britten didn't write a Summer Symphony. He wrote a Spring Symphony. That was an awkward moment. And every time, <clears throat> every time I see stuff online about, about the thing I love, which makes me feel like, oh, that's obviously not intended for me. And actually, what that... What that content does in a, in a sort of a weird way is it sort of almost laughs at me for being so pedantic about the detail. And I'm not particularly big on the detail, as I'm sure these podcasts will have will have illustrated. Uh, but, you know, it makes me feel a little bit like somebody somewhere is saying, it doesn't matter that Britain didn't write a summer symphony. The point is that Britain wrote a symphony. Wait really write a symphony uh but but it, you know let's not worry about the detail that that's that's you, you're silly for worrying about the detail about but it's like an old friend said to me if you do that you're kind of you're kind of denying 
the fact that a lot of people spend a lot of time studying this stuff and 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 uncover some really interesting theories and perspectives and and it just makes me feel really sad when i feel alienated by that stuff when when what i want is for it to be taken a little bit more seriously but it's as though in this country we we struggle we fear taking things too seriously we fear going in too deep we we because because somehow somehow going in deep is the equivalent of nerdiness and nerdiness is apparently alienating and and so we sort of reject knowledge and i don't know whether it happens in other fields maybe it, i don't know maybe it feel maybe it happens in in science maybe maybe a lot of pop maybe there's a lot of sort of scientists who feel as though popular science does them does them and their reputation absolutely no good whatsoever um i don't know maybe that would be quite interesting to find out but but i suppose when i thought about all of those three things all of those three things sort of coalesced last night after i read the tweets uh, about the concert and that's when i felt like at the same time as it being as a, a, a sort of a um the concert going experience being something which i want to experience alone but with a crowd of people whether it's hearing that crowd of people on the radio or being in a concert hall so there is a there is a there is a crowd experience for me even though i want to experience it on my own i hope you're getting what i mean um it's that introvert thing uh at the same time there are lots of occasions when i feel incredibly alone and lonely and sidelined by some aspects of classical music i feel sidelined by older people in the con- sometimes older people in the concert hall who who are who get very worked up about things and i understand completely why they're getting worked up about things and uh and and that's also okay but also stop being an ass stop being mean i feel incredibly sidelined by those people who who sort of use their subject and their expertise to elevate them above everyone else i i i feel sidelined by the snobbery and at the same time i feel sidelined by the desire to downplay knowledge and experience in a bid to get new people interested basically i'm somebody who just can't be can't be kept happy really uh but but it's weird at the same time as having these incredibly amazing moments brought about by hundreds of musicians on a stage performing live there are also these quite painful sharp spiky experiences where i feel really alone uh and and that's as a result of sort of studying it loving it wanting to be a part of it and i don't really know what the answer is there
listening to a thoroughly good podcast it was written presented and produced by john jacob get in touch by tweeting at thoroughly good or by emailing john.jacob at thoroughly good.me.